Welcome to episode 72 of the Football United vs Soccer City podcast, proudly brought to you by H. Parsons Funeral Directors, an Australian family-owned and operated funeral director, serving near Lawara since 1893. Firstly, I'd like to sincerely thank all of the interviewees, listeners and the football community of the Illawarra, Australia and elsewhere around the world who download this podcast. Additionally, I'd like to say thank you to the tremendous people who contribute, comment and reminisce on the social media pages. Peter Thompson is our interviewee in episode 72. Born in 1961, Peter's first memories of football are at Elizabeth Park, Balambi, where he and his mates came together to kick a ball around and sometimes be ball boys for the senior team. Alongside playing for Balambi Junior Soccer Club, Peter played a few years in Illawarra representative teams, an experience he enjoyed. And on this note, I must apologise as I did not ask Peter about this topic in the interview. So at approximately the 19-minute mark, I have added in a further mobile interview with Peter on his junior representative career. After having a period of time away from the game after junior football, Peter joined the senior ranks in 1979 with Fernell Soccer Club and stayed with this club for his whole career. Peter is a humble man who played for his club and fellow teammates. It is clear he has a genuine passion for the game and his club, Fernhill. Widely regarded and respected at his club and around the Illawarra, it was phenomenal to hear Peter's thoughts on his time in the game, in particular the people at Fernhill. Peter has experienced the joy of being a one-club man and is still involved at the club today. I appreciated the opportunity to record and listen to Peter's football experiences. I have sincere appreciation and thanks for the time Peter allowed me to be in his home recording and the archival items he allowed me to scan. Please enjoy episode 72. Welcome everybody to the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. I'm here in the beachside suburb of Taraji and I've got a very, very special guest in Peter Thompson. Peter, welcome to the podcast. Thanks Travis, great to be here. You were born in 61. What are your first memories of soccer itself? Probably down at Balambi there at Elizabeth Park. Very similar to, uh, position to where it is now. And a bunch of kids got together and and just started kicking a football around and uh, we ended up um, having a good time and and uh, a, a, a little bit of success, not much. Because we're talking around 66 is when you started playing for Blamby Junior Soccer Club and I think um, talking back with uh, Robert Banks, I think it was in its infancy back then, the club itself, I think it was 57 or 58 that it had started. So... Um, uh, those junior days there at Elizabeth Park, uh, uh, do you remember your first coach or coaches and, and some of the players you played with? Yeah, our first coach was uh, Ken Beaton, who unfortunately recently passed away, and uh, Kim Johnson, who was a good uh, Balambi uh, player at the time. 
and uh, they got us together, turned a, a bunch of uh, ramshackle um, kids that could hardly kick a ball into something that resembled a soccer team. So in those early days, were you a big fan of the game or was it because your group of friends had got together that you thought, oh, let's, I'll have a try at, at soccer? I think uh, the, the group that I played with were at school together yep. and, then, um, and then we all decided to play soccer down at Balambi together and then, um, of course, at that particular time, Balambi were a bit of a powerhouse in yeah, the uh, local league and uh, made it all the more enjoyable. So initially, um, people would probably remember you as more of an attacking player, striker, midfield-type positions. Um, in your early days at junior soccer at Balambi, uh, what positions or position did you play? Well, back in those days, we played the old um, WM system where you had uh, five up front, two in the midfield and three at the back. So <laughs> I was more of a right right midfield sort of a player then. Yep. So. Uh, if I remember correctly, our goalkeeper, uh, Brian, he'd, um, he'd suffered from polio from birth and couldn't really kick the ball very well, so I got the job of taking all the goal kicks as well. <laughs> and those uh, early Balambi days, uh, what colour were the shirts back then that you were playing? Oh, predominantly um, a, a dark green with, uh, yep. with, with, red, with red trim, so uh, from the, the best of my memory anyway. And is it right, um, I think when I was talking to Gussie Masters, uh, Elizabeth Park back then uh, was configured a bit differently. Uh, in, in the summer, they'd play cricket um, and, and it was a bit more open. Is that how you remember it when you started playing back then? Yeah, that, that, that's right. There was a cricket pitch there which was on the eastern boundary of the main field because the main field came right up to the road in those days. And... Um, uh, the 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 old timber canteen was um, not was a little bit further to the to the north than where the um, the actual old um, what's it called there now the sort uh, of a centre it was a, some sort of yeah, uh, community community centre yeah yeah just just near there and uh, um, the prize in those days if you got there early you were the ball boy and you got fifty cents for being ball boy on Blamby's, um senior games at home and if you weren't there early enough you got they boosted you up on the roof to put the scores up on the scoreboard <laughs> that's excellent those uh junior days uh you played there for 10 11 years there um what do you recall about sort of going through the ranks of of the different age groups in terms of games that you remember or other players that you started playing with and developing with um of course, there was always a couple of kids there that were tall and lean and could run faster than anyone else, and you had the, the shorter, shorter, slower kids that would play at the back. Um, but one thing I do remember at Balambi there, they had a thing called a shooting box, and it was just this big... It was about 10 foot high, and it had uh, uh, walls on each end that were curved back toward you, and at training, you had to uh, line up and you'd kick the ball against this particular... Um, great wall and it had come back to you and, you and the next player had to kick it before it stopped rolling and uh, uh, if we weren't climbing on it we are kicking the ball against it and I think a lot of the kids learned how to really kick a ball in those days kicking it up against what they call the old shooting box it's gone now of course yeah well probably uh, wouldn't be allowed for too many politically correct 
reasons or insurance purposes. You would have had in those days, uh, like I've sp- spoken to many of the guests, uh, the gala day experience. Yep. Um, what are your memories of, of that day? And was that a highlight during the year for you and the team? We always look forward to gala day, being in the march past and carrying the, um, carrying the club's colours on a flag. I do remember once we actually won it. Um, we walked off after the final thinking we'd lost. Right. And then um, they counted up the corners and the shies, which <laughs> determined the game in those days, and we actually won. So uh, we, we actually turned from being quite sad into uh, a very happy group of, I think it was <laughs> under 10s, I think, at the time. And so are there any um, sort of notable players that you were playing with in that age group or did you play up in, in other age groups to, to get extra games in, in your junior career? Our striker, Gary Brindley, he, could, he was one of the tall guys who could run really fast and he, he'd score goals uh, most games and, um, and kept us in it most of the time. And, and uh, we had um, two, two fullbacks, Ronnie Marshall and Brian Cheatham, who would, who would never give up. So uh, <laughs> we're, we're always half a chance. And did you gravitate um, from that starting position in right midfield? Did you stay there or did you move to another position in those 10 years in the junior days? No, always, always played in the right yeah. midfield. Yeah, never, never went up front. And is there a game that um, in those junior days that sticks in your memory that you can sort of recall where you either uh, enjoyed it immensely because of how you performed or just stays in the memory? I, I think... Um, the we were in the under eights. We we're in third division, yep. and we actually won it that year. So the the final game of that uh, particular um, year, and and also the winning the uh, grand final as well, was uh, was uh, something something very special for us in those days. And what about the coaches that you spoke about? Um, what did they teach you? Well, discipline mainly. You would you didn't get to train late, yep. and. Um, uh, if you if you were told to run, you you'd, you'd make sure you um, did the running that was required. You spoke about um, the senior club, and and how they were a powerhouse in in those years. So obviously you were going to games, and yeah. and watching them. So what do you recall about um, players that you loved watching, or or games that you can recall there at Elizabeth Park? Back in those days, it was always a um, a must thing to do on a Saturday afternoon to go down and watch Balambi play. I mean, of course, uh, Rob Banks, Wayne Ronald, Luke Robards, uh, Tony Gill, and I'm I'm sure there's others that were just as good. I, I sh- that I probably missed out on, but yeah, those days were great in the, on a Saturday to go down and, and watch them play. There are always some very torrid games being played. Yeah, I, I think at the time, you know, you, you had your EBTs, you had your Bulleye Workers and, and, and your Fern Hills and your Coromels. So um, was there a player in particular that you, you had as a favourite? Well, I, I think um, uh, Rob Banks was probably um, um, one of the... Well, he was the captain of the side and he, he was always... Uh, he was in the middle of everything. So <laughs> uh, probably, probably Banks, if I could remember him, remember back that far. And so you, you were, uh, like you said, depending on the order of which the, uh, the boys turned up, uh, then sort of dictated what position you got as ball boy or, or um, the, the scoreboard. So did you do that regularly? 
Yeah, yeah. Every every home game, I, I try and get down there and um, and either get a runner's ball boy, which you got fifty cents for in those days, which was <laughs> pretty, pretty good. Big. But if you got the scoreboard, you didn't get anything. It was um, that was a uh, you, you you got a drink. I think that was about it. But one, one day there, I was I was um, me and Mark Beaton were ball boys, and uh, uh, this particular day, Frank Brinley cleared the ball over the sideline, caught me flush in the face, and oh. knocked knocked me off my feet. But uh, the only comments that were made at the time was, of course, Mark Beaton was a bit shorter than me. He probably should have been on, on the side I was on and the ball would have went over his head. <laughs> so Balambi then, um, uh, like they were a powerhouse, uh, when you watch them, do you think by watching the team that they were and the quality that they had in that team, do you think you learnt different ways to become a better player? Because, like you said, you, you had reasonable coaches, but when you have a team that is very good to watch, uh, I think you may or may not pick up things by just watching good players and, and what they do. Definitely. Uh, Bob Young was the coach back then, and um, he, he certainly instilled uh, discipline in, um, in, uh, in, in the team. And uh, if I remember correctly, um, he was one of the first ones to take say the left winger I think at the time was Derek Henderson yep. and and put in a sweeper behind the centre half so instead of playing the old WM system yeah. uh, instead of having five up front you had went back to four and had a sweeper at the back which I think at the time uh, was quite revolutionary and uh, it certainly helped uh, Balambi not concede as many goals <laughs> You're there from 66 through to uh, 77 um, uh, up until the point where you finished junior junior soccer was it always in your mind that you would continue on into the senior ranks for Balambi? Not really I had um, uh, 77 I uh, left school and started work and um, that, that changed perspective a little bit but I had a, um, a tumour growing in my knee which um, uh, took a long time to diagnose and um, and finally got operated on before uh, I could actually start running and playing again. So that that took me out for a few years, but in the end, um, the um, um, the tumour was removed and and I was able to play. So um, I guess when you have uh, the realities of something like that, um, I guess sport is put on the back burner, so to speak, and and like you said, work um, takes over. I guess. Just back to the Balambi senior days, um, they did have a, a, a big uh, giant killing run in the State Cup um, playing against Federation teams in 71. Um, did you watch any of those games? In fact, I was actually at the, that game on, uh, at Bulls Paddock on, uh, I think it was a Wednesday night. It was a midweek game. Yep. And it was a semi-final. I, I think they lost 2-1 in the end. Um, I just remember there, Wayne Ronald was laying on the ground, the ball came across, it was late in the game, and uh, somehow got his, he, he was on the ground, the ball came over, hit the post, he got it while he was laying on the ground, kicked it again, uh, hit the post again, <laughs> and came out, and they could have actually made the final that year, it yeah. was, it was, there was nothing in it in the end, it was, it was an incredible um, incredible performance by the team on that night. Because back then, um, it was uh, 
they were sort of like the Premier League now, playing against, I guess, in, in between an NPL and an A-League team because the Federation in here and Victoria was probably the strongest in, in, in Australia. So they were, they were beating some top teams, weren't they? That's correct, yeah. They, um, they, they, they were called the giant killers for a reason and uh, they didn't fear anybody and, and um, uh, probably if they were around in this day and age, they'd probably find they'd be in trouble with the, the judiciary more often than not. So, uh, But a different style of game back then. Yeah. And the old balls paddock, uh, night games, I've heard from many people, um, whether it be day games, South Coast United and and then Safeway, um, uh, the crowds. But uh, in particular, night games under floodlights there at the old balls paddock, uh, great atmosphere. Oh, it was fantastic, yeah. And as, as kids, there was enough holes in the fence you could actually get in for nothing and sneak in and... and uh, if I remember correctly, the lights all had these big um, transformers next to them that um, powered the lights back then. And um, if you got there early enough, you could stand up on those things and you get a good view of the game. So did you, um, apart from watching Balambi and, and being the ball boy or the scoreboard attendant, did you sometimes go to South Coast United games and, and have a look at them on occasions? Absolutely love going to watch uh, South Coast United play. They, we um, uh, really enjoyed sitting behind the goals in those days and uh, George Ramage was in goals, the Jolly Green Frog, I think he was yeah. called, and uh, he certainly uh, didn't mince his words when talking to defenders. <laughs> and, and the proximity um, of the ground and, and the way it was laid out meant that when you did have the, the big Sydney teams that come down... Um, it was compact, and and I guess the noise and and the atmosphere was fantastic. Is that how you felt when you watched games where there was big crowds? That that particular field was uh, very very compact, and um, uh, the 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 fence, the perimeter fence, was very close to the sideline. It's a wonder more people didn't get injured, <laughs> but it was great to watch um, South Coast United go around in those days. Um, Peter Wilson and um, Noddy Alston and Drew Dunlop and players like that going yeah. through. Yeah, it was a fantastic uh, afternoon. Always played on a Sunday, if I remember correctly, and uh, everyone ended up over... Not that I could go then, I was too young, <laughs> but ended up over at the club across the road. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a great setup, and I think um, whatever happened there in 76 or 77, um, where we lost a team there for a period of time, that uh, probably impacted... Um, viewing habits and, and probably even uh, the calibre of uh, what we could produce as, as players. You played representative junior football for Illawarra from 1969 for a few years. You were first selected in 1969 for the under-8s Illawarra team. What do you remember about being selected for the Illawarra team? If I remember correctly, uh, Florence Stevenson, who uh, probably many people would know, was our was the uh, registrar or um, um, what's her name at Balambi and uh, she came to me one afternoon at training and, and said, oh, you've been selected in the Illawarra team. You need to go over to Fern Hills ground to take a photo with the rest of the team. So uh, it was a bit of a, um, a mad dash to take me over there and uh, have, have a photo with the rest of the players that had uh, turned up. Although you were very young, was it a cool surprise to be selected in this team? Absolutely. The team that 
uh, I got selected in. Uh, some of the players, or well, all the players, were such a such a good group to be with, and I, I, I guess I was just lucky to be in the right place at the right time to to be involved with such a talented group of kids at, at that particular point in time. John Ireland was your coach. You had him as coach during these representative years. What did he teach you about the game? He was a real old-fashioned coach. It was the good old WM system. So five five uh, players up front, and uh, we had um, uh, Ian Serson with a wicked left foot. He could whip a ball across and... Um, uh, and same on the right-hand side with um, Greg Crowell and Phil Brown that could whip a cross in and um, uh, the uh, guys in the middle could uh, finish off. It was it was a great combination at, at that particular point in time. In 1969, while you were with the Illawarra representative team, you travelled to Armidale, Shellhaven and defeated Manly in the final. And in the other years, you travelled around country New South Wales and Sydney. What do you remember about those country trips? The trips were always looked forward to. The, the The group that went away, all the families came along and it turned into a sort of a mini holiday uh, for most people. All, uh, all the mums and dads came along and I don't know how well the brothers and sisters enjoyed it, but uh, one, one I do remember was uh, Cootamundra. We went down there once and... Um, uh, just as we finished playing, it, it started to snow, and uh, and uh, we we played a little the earlier game, and the teams that came after us actually played in the snow down there that that particular time. In that first year of rep football in 1969, you were playing Manly in the state final. Do you have any memories of that encounter? The actual game was a bit of a shock to all of us, I think, by the result. I knew we. The, the, everyone knew that we were going to have a, a tough game against Manly and um, it just turned out that uh, on the day um, we didn't really miss too many opportunities and and with a with a great bunch of guys at the back there, you know, Mark Sweeney, Murray Brown, Steve Potter and Goals, uh, Andrew Bonzer, they, they tackled everything and um, Manly didn't really get a shot on us. And what position did you play while playing Illawarra Junior Rep football? Well, back in those days, uh, it was right half for me. Tony Mulhall played left half, and he was a tiger. He never let anyone get past him. So, uh, yeah, I was right half, and Tony was left half. From previous interviews and black and white photos I have seen, the Illawarra jersey you wore was sky blue with a white V, plus you wore tracksuits as well. This all must have been exciting as a kid to have this gear. Absolutely. We always ran a raffle and and uh, and things along those lines to raise money for different things. And, and luckily enough, um, we, we all got a tracksuit with our name on it and we're, we're, very, we're very proud to, um, to wear them when we, when we turned out to play. In that era, you received badges for the years you played, were awarded pennants and medallions. You still have these keepsakes. It must be nice to have them in your possession. Absolutely. At the time, it was always uh, nice to receive those sorts of things from from your from your efforts, and to look back on them now, it um, it, it does uh, bring back some r- rather fond memories. 
when you look through the Illawarra team photos, you played alongside the likes of Phil Brown, Ian Serson, Mark Sweeney, amongst others. There were talented kids that turned into talented men during your time in rep football. Correct. Uh, the uh, team, when you uh, look at them, they're uh, just a bunch of kids. But, uh, you know, there was a lot of... Uh, I, I think most of them would have gone through and played at at least, uh, you know, a high level in district and uh, even uh, even uh, uh, go on and, and play in further rep teams as, as they uh, grew older, you know. It was a... Just a just a great um, a great bunch of kids, and it was great to be involved with. During your time in the Illawarra representative space, did you ever go on tour or play before big matches? We did have a uh, a run up to Brisbane there once, uh, a little bit later on. After in in um, in seventy nineteen seventy, we uh, the group stayed together and we took a. Uh, a run up to uh, Brisbane to play a couple of games, and we actually got to play at half time in a uh, when South Coast United were playing St George, and uh, they call it a blanket run. So our folks would go around the edge of the ground, and people would throw coins into a blanket while we had our game in the at half time. It was quite a quite quite a um, a great experience for us kids to to run out in front of such a huge crowd uh, on the day. But if I remember correctly, poor old South Coast United got beat 6-1 that day by um, by St George. And I I think George Ramage was dropped for the next week. But it was still a great experience for us kids to go out there and uh, play in front of a huge crowd. So you enjoyed your time in the Illawarra representative teams? Yeah, I think so, mate. Yeah, it was enjoyable. And I was just lucky enough to be around in a time when, when the, with the group of players that got together were... Such uh, such talented people, and and we uh, a lot of us have remained good friends uh, uh, to this day. So you had time off there for for the tumor. Um, you then you know were working as well. Um, so uh, tell us about the chance conversation you had at work um, with Bruce Isdale in nineteen seventy eight, and 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 what transpired in that conversation. Yeah, Bruce was my boss back then, and I'd um, not long had the operation, and me, I was still recovering. And um, uh, I was chatting to Bruce there one morning over a, over a coffee, and he uh, he was with, involved with Fernhill, of course. And uh, I hadn't even contemplated going back to playing soccer at that point. And uh, he said, "Well, why don't you come down to Fernhill and have a run down there?" Um, I think. That was 78. He, he was coaching the youth team then, and I think they were very successful that year. Uh, and, and, of course, uh, after that, I said, all right, I'll come down and have a run if my knee's all right. And uh, sure enough, next year, in 79, I went down there and, uh, and had started having a run. So you didn't play in 78 at all? It was just he was talking about the year, year ahead? or Yeah, yeah, I never played in 78. Um, my um, I was still um, recovering and... I hadn't even thought about playing in that year, to be honest. So, 79, um, I was still at Pop Arrington there. Firstly, uh, your, your thoughts on Pop Arrington, even though they were in the senior club, was in a sort of transition mode to, to go to where they are now at Ray Robinson. But um, what do you recall of, uh, uh, well, talking about compact grounds, uh, Pop Arrington? Absolutely another compact ground. Yeah, it was great to play at. There's, it was a good surface there. 
and uh, the fence was really close to the uh, to the uh, playing area. One thing I do remember is I uh, the the dressing sheds were so small, <laughs> and uh, and the referees' room could only fit one person in at a time. So um, the, um, the the facilities certainly have changed since then. <laughs> they're they're fantastic down at Ray Robinson. Let me tell you. While we're talking about Bruce and and although he was, you worked with him. Um, can you tell us a bit about him? You talk about that he was your coach in '79, uh, youth grade coach, was he? Uh, no, no, oh, he didn't he coach. He was in '78. He was a '78 coach. Yeah. It was Marty Comley was our '79 coach, and uh, um, one thing I can remember about that year because Pop Errington was quite dark. You had to go up there and train, and we'd finish before the seniors would start. You know, I was reversing out in my commie and I backed into the coach's car uh, <laughs> on the after training. Anyway, um, uh, I, was, I was hoping to get selected to play that weekend and I had to go back in and tell him I'd just backed into his car. So <laughs> Anyway, we, we fixed his car up and uh, I did get selected. Uh, what do you recall uh, uh, about some of your teammates in, in that 79 Um uh, from the the records that I've found, you you played nine games, you scored five goals, and you played with blokes like Paul Mayo, um, Matthew Morris, Ian Cunningham, Murray Brown, Neil Code, Mark Simpson, uh, Gio Razzo. Um, what do you and Dean Gardner? What do you recall about some of those guys and and what you did that year? We we certainly had a um, a, a pretty pretty um, neat bunch of players there. They um, you know. Um, we had a good uh, contrast of of good good tackling defenders and um, and uh, you know some hard running forwards in that in that particular era and um, um, and the and the main thing is we had a good time. Position wise, uh, now that you'd come back from junior football into senior football, uh, where were you positioned, um, or or where did you start playing initially? When I came back. Um, Marty was a coach. He put me up front, give me a run there, see how I'd go, and um, and and basically stayed there. After that, we uh, had a bit of success, and and the other other positions were all covered. So, yeah, up front it was where I stayed. Because some of those players, even in that '79 team, went on and and did some some very good things in in the local league. Gio Razzo, could you tell that he was going to become a, a competent and very good keeper? Um, Later on in, in the eighties, yeah, Gio was always um, uh, a, a good keeper for what he lacked in height. He certainly he uh, he made up for in ability and uh, and agility. He was um, he he kept us in it a lot of a lot of the time. He, he some of the saves he made were incredible. And uh, like I said before, uh, back about Bruce, um, can you, uh, the Eisdale name synonymous um, back even in the thirties and forties and fifties. The family name with North Wollongong and and what they did in the game. Can you tell us a bit more about Bruce's, uh, what else he was doing at the club and even as a player? Yeah, Bruce. Um, Bruce was involved in all, in all parts of the club. Um, he did hold committee positions. I just can't remember what they yeah. were at the time. Um, he was quite ferocious at training. <laughs> he you didn't hang on to the ball too long if you knew Bruce was going to tackle you. Um, <laughs> And and then of course I did work with him over a long period and and unfortunately uh, Bruce ended up having dementia, which was really sad for a guy that was so passionate about about football and about Fernhill and and, um, and 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 you know football in general. 
and that 79 year um do you recall watching first grade and and what what you started seeing there on the pitch compared to you know you'd had a few years off from the game what you were seeing in the the Fernhill first grade ranks yeah yeah look we used to uh, hang around after the game and watch um watch the uh, first graders run around I remember back at Balls Paddock again this particular day first grade um had a few injuries and and they called up Murray Brown to yeah. uh, play first grade this day and and he had a cracking game that day yeah he really he, he didn't look like um, he was a youth grader at all. He actually looked quite like a first grader that day. That year, like you said, you were pretty humble, but um, you had a neat bunch of players. But you won the Cass Cup. Um, do you recall any from from even the Cup run or, or the final itself? One of the, the the most vivid memory I have of that is um, it was final day out at um, out at Balls Paddock once again, and and the coach. Marty asked to borrow my car, and I'm going, oh, yeah, okay, no worries. So anyway, um, we're, we're there at the start of the game, and there's no coach, no manager. <laughs> and so anyway, we organised ourselves, put our shirts on, gave ourselves a team talk, went out, and um, came back in at half time. I think we were up 1-2, one, 2-0 one or, two, two or something, I think, at the time. And anyway, coach still wasn't there. Wow. And... Uh, but anyway, not long after we'd walked back out, he, he turned up. And anyway, um, he'd uh, gone to get a keg of beer and used my car because where they were getting the keg of beer from, they probably weren't supposed to be, get, to be getting it from there. And he didn't want his car being associated <laughs> with it. But um, in, in the end, we did win that day. And, and, um, and we had a party back at his place obviously with the 18-gallon keg that, uh, that he'd uh, gone and got in the back of my car. Uh, well, I guess, uh, you know, if there are any uh, law enforcement officers <laughs> listening, I, I don't think they're going to do anything now. Uh, 1980, um, Fernhill um, then uh, moved from, from Pop Arrington um, to, to Rogie Park at that point in time. Um, so did you, as a player, even though all they knew, were you... Um, were you thinking to yourself, this is a bit weird, or did they give any reasons for it um, to the playing group back then? I, I, I wasn't um, totally involved with all those decision making, that yeah. decision making at the time, but the juniors were already down there, and I think it was more to do with the council wanting to use Pop Arrington Park for for other for other um, purposes. So it was a pretty much a mutual agreement to go down and and both juniors and seniors would be um, uh, be combined down at Taraji Park. And was it a, a vast difference because uh, going down there in the last you know 20 years that I've played at Ray Robinson um, or what was then known as Taraji Park it's a great it's a great place uh, near the beach and it's it's a big field so um, was that a bit of a, a change to for home games that you're playing on a big field was it a big field initially then? It certainly was the the size of the ground compared to Pop Arrington. Uh, you did you'd have to run a lot more, so uh, it certainly uh, certainly made you a bit fitter. Nineteen eighty at Fernhill, uh, Daryl Glover was coming in as player coach. That year, um, you transitioned pretty quickly into first grade, playing eighteen first grade games, thirteen goals, and and four player of the year points. So um, was it a pretty early decision from Daryl that he sort of 
got you out of youth grade and pre-season and said, look, I want you to train with first? Uh, I think at the time it was one of the... I think I was just in the right place at the right time. Um, Fernil had... Um, a few players had moved on to different clubs and, and there was a... Um, a bit of a shortage of um, of players around, so um, yeah, I, I, I guess me being at, at there at the time, uh, I, I got a I got a chance to have a run in first grade. Because you're uh, you're turning 19 at that point in time, so was it an easy transition for you in terms of body size and and playing against men in the the premier competition in the Illawarra? It certainly was. It certainly took some knocks. Um, the um, the competition or the uh, rules of the competition or soccer at that time was, um, you know, uh, you, you know, you got away with a bit more as far as uh, <laughs> a bit of push and shove, but um, um, you had to um, learn quickly and, uh, and, and and soon get yourself into shape. Do you remember your first game or and, and or, or one of the first games that you played in first grade? Yes, uh, unfortunately I do. We played uh, Ferry Meadow, who were the gun side yeah. in, in, in that particular time, and uh, it was the opening day of um, our first game at Trodgy Park, and uh, uh, we were down 4-1 at half-time, and uh, Daryl gave us a bit of a roasting at half-time, but uh, in the end we got beat 7-1. Uh, but it was a... a, a we, we, were, we were soundly beaten by a much better side, but... Uh, uh, at the end of the day, I think we, 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 our learning curve was quite steep. So, uh. Was there um, any players in that first grade team uh, that, that took you under the wing um, uh, in those early days? Because, like you said, there was a couple of younger guys coming into the team. There was opportunities there, but did any of the senior players, uh, apart from Daryl, sort of encourage you or, or give some advice at times? Yeah, yeah. Um, Justin Norris was around in those days, and Justin was a great, um, great mentor. Same with uh, Gary Singleton as well. He he played uh, back then, and um, we all seemed to um, uh, get on quite well as as a group and and help each other out. So yeah, there's a couple of guys there that were really helpful. And and what about Daryl? Because um, he was a player coach, which was more common back in that era. Um, what was he like? Uh, on training days and then on game days and then being the coach out in the field as well. Yeah, Daryl was very much a... Um, he was well prepared at training and on game days. The, your um, uh, approach to to uh, game day was quite methodical and, and then you had your game plan that everyone had to stick to and uh, whether, whether it was working or not, um, uh, if you varied from the game plan, Daryl would soon let you know. <laughs> So he wasn't afraid of uh, uh, not being confrontational, but giving his piece to, to team members and, and others out in the field and in the sheds? He, he certainly didn't um, hold back if he, if he thought you needed some encouragement. Um, one thing, though, that um, he did instil in everyone was, you know, if you haven't got anything nice to say, then don't say it. So if you haven't got th- something constructive to say... Uh, don't say it. You know, if you're going to be destructive, that only adds to the problem. So, yeah, Daryl always encouraged constructive criticism. And is it true? And I could be wrong. And, and if that's the case, uh, so be it. But uh, he played in the Federation days um, in goals, and then was playing in the outfield in the Illawarra Premier League. Is that correct? 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Does that say a lot about him that he could be that talented in federation to be playing keeper? And then the Illawarra Premier League at that point in time was still a, a very good competition in terms of players coming from federation and, and the clubs were strong. Does it say more about his ability as a sports, sports person or a football player? Absolutely. Daryl was um, always a... He was a bit of a fitness fanatic, actually. He was always keen to be fit. And I guess being so tall as well obviously helped him in goals. And, uh, and if, he, if he played on the field, it was usually either at a, a centre-half or a sweeper position. So that was um, handy for being so tall as well. And in that, um, uh, that, that first year that you're in first grade... Uh, as players like Gordon Mitchell and, and Neil Sutherland, um, can you talk a bit about those guys? Yeah, well, Neil Sutherland, Skull, as his nickname was, um, hard as nails, a Fernil Jr., uh, never gave up. And um, uh, he, was, he was probably complimented a bit by Gordy Mitchell, who, um, who was more of a ball player. Um, didn't like to get his shorts dirty much, but um, <laughs> uh, they certainly complimented each other and... You know, if, if Skull won the ball, Gordy was there to clean up. And at that point in time, uh, as a club, uh, would would the Fernhill be going to Coromel Leagues after games at that point in time, or did they have, a, have another watering hole that they'd go to? Uh, no, no. Back back then, Coromel Leagues Club was the go-to place. Every every team seemed to go back there, and and I think it helped in the in a way that you not only mixed with your own team, but you got to talk to, to uh, players from other teams like Coromel was there, Tarawana, Balambi, yep. and you got to um, uh, mix and socialise with, with players from other clubs. Although it might be difficult, um, did you, do you recall your first first grade goal um, and, and who it was against? I don't really recall. There, there's a couple of goals I, I, I do remember, mainly because of the bizarre way they, yeah. uh, they went and in. And what were they? Uh, there was one game there against Fig Tree. We were struggling a bit. Anyway, um, uh, Sean Billington was in goals for Figgy, and I, I had a shot at goal, and he, he had it covered, or no, no problem. And then, unfortunately for Sean, the ball bounced and hit a, a big um, muddy foot footprint in the ground and went the opposite way. So uh, it got us back into the game on on the day. So um, uh, that was that was just one one that I remember. That year, you spoke about it, uh, the 7-1 drubbing to Ferry Meadow. Um, they were a quality team with, you know, Hugh Tinney, Alan Devaney, Reg Chilby, uh, Graeme Gardner, Bob Fracasso, Mickey White. What made them so so good a team that they were clearly the dominant team that year? They were just well organised. Hugh, Hugh played at the back. Reg Chilby, had, um, he was a sweeper. He, if Hughie missed anything, Reg would clean it up. And, uh, and then, of course... You mentioned those players, other players um, uh, in the, in their lineup. They didn't really have a um, a weak a weakness across the park, and hence they were so successful. Uh, Eighty one, um, the grand final program report where uh, Shell Harbour and Coniston uh, matched off against each other. Um, it sort of talks about. Um, a strong back four built around the side's experienced captain coach Daryl Glover and a young Illawarra star, Grant Isdale. What about Grant? Um, what made him a, a young Illawarra star at that time? What were his qualities as a player? Well, Grant, um, once again, he was, he was very fit and uh, could probably run 100 metres in 10 seconds. 
uh, as an overlapping fullback, he had a, um, a, a talent there that was not often used by other teams. So all of a sudden, Grant's winning the ball off, off his own goal line. Next minute, he's uh, uh, down the right wing, crossing, uh, crossing for the, uh, the strikers to uh, have a chance at goal. And uh, that year, it says in this sort of... Uh, uh, someone at the club had obviously written the report, but Gary Perukes and Peter Thompson were joined by new signing Steve Quinn. And between the three of them, they gave many defences Saturday afternoon nightmares. Is, is that how you remember when Quinn came in? Yeah, yeah. Look, if, uh, we were pretty quick in those days, but uh, um, Quinny, um, if, he, if he wasn't mesmerising them with his... Um, with his footwork, he was usually telling them a joke and they were, they were busy laughing while we had a chance to shoot a goal. He was always telling a joke. He was quite a character. So does that, um, uh, when you've got someone like that, uh, does it make it easier to go to training and then even just in the sheds before a game? Obviously, Daryl, like you said, like discipline, but just having someone in there that could crack a joke and, and have a laugh makes it even more fun. Absolutely. I mean, um, uh, Quinny, he, he, could, uh, he could tell a good joke and uh, he, he could um, 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 imitate um, anyone you like. And uh, he, he particularly liked imitating Daryl when he wasn't watching. And, <laughs> and of course, we'd be all laughing and Daryl wouldn't know what was going on. But uh, yeah, it, was, it, it helped um, uh, break the nervousness before a game on a, on a Saturday. Uh, strangely enough, in this... Um the grand final program um whoever uh, one of the committee persons at, at fern hill it, it said that uh, apart from acknowledging the sponsor um uh, harley seafoods it said that the end of season trip venue is brisbane so um <laughs> they they must have been pretty uh happy or must have attended as well well i guess we weren't um going to be uh, in the in the finals or in the grand final so uh yeah the end of season trip to brisbane um uh, had been organised early, so uh, there was uh, quite a bit of interest, and uh, and they had a good a good bunch of gro- uh, guys going up there. I think they're more interested in going to the races at Eagle Farm more than anything else. <laughs> Eighty two, um, Daryl's still a player coach. You've still got the likes of Mitchell and Sutherland. Um, you've got Sikic, uh, uh, Stephen Quinn that we've spoken about. Um, Alan Thompson and Keith Rosa are there, and Alan Duncan. Um, uh, you, you played um, uh, quite a bit that year in 21 games, nine goals. Um, you won the Bampton Cup. Um, that's a pretty successful season for, for a Premier League club. What, what do you recall about that? Yeah, yeah, it, it, was, a, it was a good season for us. I mean, uh, Al, uh, having Al Thompson there as their, our captain, um, um, he, he certainly um, uh, brought a, a new level of... of um, Discipline and um, playing a better, better brand of football on on the field. Yep. So, uh, I, I think in the end, it, 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 not that we made the finals that year, but uh, certainly, um, you know, being able to go right through to playing the Bampton Cup was a a big thing for us. Eighty three, um, Daryl was still coach. Could you tell things because we're going to talk about eighty four and and what a wonderful year that was for the club, um, winning I think nearly all trophies that were on offer. But 83 um, was still a reasonable year. So as a player during those three years, can you tell that a coach is sort of at the end of his stint or that things were tiring out from a playing group? Um, Is that something that you see 
because it was his fourth year and, and by that time you sort of know what the coach does, you know what he wants. Is, is that how you recall it? I, I guess that's, that's probably a pretty fair assumption. Um, I guess the playing group hadn't changed a lot and um, Daryl might have been starting to run out of a few ideas perhaps and not that I was involved in the committee at those no. in those days and I guess... Um, the, 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 the decision was made to you know go with a different coach the next year. Those uh, couple of years where we're talking 82-83, um, West Figtree uh, uh, were a very strong team at that time. Um, you know, the likes of Noakes, Phil Brown, um, uh, Ian Witheridge, Dave Green, Beringer, Cole, Burley, Kel Potter. Um, what made them so strong? Like, we know that they're strong players, but what did you find difficult either as a, as a striker against their defence or, or playing against them? Yeah, Figgy, they were, they were strong all over the park. with a well coached too. Lukey and Phil, they, they, they were very astute coaches and they had them well organised. And once again, I think they were, they were a really close-knit group and they really, yep. um, really enjoyed each other's company. We went back to West after... West Leagues after playing against them a few times, you could tell they were uh, they were a really close knit group, and and uh, and and when you played against them, they 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 give you nothing. So uh, you had to earn everything you got against them. And in that point in time, um, uh, not that I want to get into to personal areas, but uh, were you getting um, five ten dollars a game as as a first grader at Fernhill or? Or some sort of amount that covered petrol money, or were you, or some, or most of the players playing for free? Uh, I never got paid to play at Fernhill, yep. um, um, and look, I don't know where the other yeah, players yeah. were getting paid. Um, I didn't, I didn't look into that. Um, the only, the only time I ever, ever, ever got paid to play um, uh, was when I got selected in the Illawarra team, and uh, we got a thirty dollar, thirty dollar. Um, check off uh, the, the association to help with expenses when we went down to Canberra but anyway that was that was my one and only payment for playing <laughs> football. I haven't got an opinion either way but uh, was that just more of a uh, the way you thought about the sport that I just want to play with my mates I'm here at a local club money's not not what I'm driven for I'm here to sort of be competitive and and try and win and have some fun as well. I think that was more it. I, I, I don't look. I think if they were getting the other boys were getting paid, I probably would have known about it. But um, yeah, I never really thought about um, uh, chasing money. Eighty four, um, like I've spoken about before uh, a few moments ago, um, Daryl Glover. Um, the decision was made to to move on, and and Jerry Walker came in. Um, can you tell me what were your first thoughts of Jerry, and and then. Um, as the year went on, uh, what were you thinking about him? Yeah, we were fit. That was what Jerry, Jerry <laughs> instilled in us. You didn't get the, you weren't late to training, and um, and no one finished training early. So uh, he, there was one thing he did have. We, we had us really fit, and um, and 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 certainly instilled a um, uh, you know a, a level of um, when you went out to play, you you um, you, you you certainly did your best. Uh, that year was highly successful with the club. Um, uh, did the double. Um, I, I think even um, here in my records, you, you might have won the uh, Coromel Leagues as well. That's right. Um, was there a point in time in that year where you thought, 
yes, we're a chance of the league. Um, and because you were doing very well week to week. We seem to um, take each each game at a time. The the teams you came up against, um, Jerry had changed things just a little bit to counter whether it would be a, um, you know, whether the opposition had a really good forward or a, or a, a solid back 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 four. So it wasn't till later in the in the in the second half of the uh, season that um, uh, we thought, oh, we're we're going alright here. We might we might we're still a chance, you know. We we had some formidable opponents, so. You never took anything for granted. Although, like you said, Jerry would tinker with the team a little bit. Is there a sort of a rough starting eleven, and and could you name them from from goalkeeper to up front, and and sort of name roughly what the team was like most of the year? It, it that was one thing that um, I, I think uh, delivered the success we had that year. We we basically remained injury free the whole year. And I think in um, uh, I think in the in the course of the year we might have only picked up six yellow cards wow. for the whole year for the whole team, and uh, uh, I, so no one got suspended, no one got injured, and that that helped keep a consistency through the whole year. So who, who was keeper for the whole year? Oh, Al, Al Duncan was uh, was the keeper there, and um, uh, and when Jerry came along. Uh, Ian, Ian Lewis turned up um, for us in in the middle of midfield from Figgy, which um, he he was a massive asset there, uh, shutting down a lot of um, opposition uh, attacks. And also Paul Salabank came across from Lysarts, who who um, scored our opening goal in the grand final that year. But with him at the back, um, um, being so strong, and you had um, Ian Lewis in front of him in the middle of midfield. Uh, it, it certainly made made it hard for other teams to break us down. And so, was he playing sort of roughly four four two most of the time, or? No, it was a four three three then. So yeah. um, you had Al, Al Tomo on the left, um, uh, Mark Simpson on the right of midfield, and of course Ian Lewis in the middle. So two good ball players either side of a of a guy that just tackled everything. And who were you playing up front with? Oh, well, there was Proxy. Quinny and uh, and myself, so uh, uh, we all, always had a good um, uh, a, a good rapport with each other. So if one ran one way, another would run the other way. And do you think those uh, years of playing together um, made it easier in terms of an understanding of you knew what channels someone else was going to run and and what their strengths were as a player? Yeah, definitely. We had. Um, uh, uh, a lot of a lot of um, um, time at training was spent just working on different runs that we would make depending yep. on how the ball was being delivered. So if, uh, if if one person got the ball, then the other one would run one way and another one would run the other way. And they always had two options to play the ball to. And do you recall the, uh, the, uh, the league game where you then won the league um, and... And what that meant for not just yourselves as a playing group and Jerry, but I guess the committee as well. I do actually remember that. Of all things, we went up and watched Tarawana play Balambi up at uh, Tarawana Oval that particular afternoon, and I think uh, Tarawana beat Balambi that day, and and that meant that uh, we, we'd actually won the comp, which I think was about two or three games from wow. the end. I think so. 
uh, it was sort of a, a bit of a euphoric moment. I, I never thought we'd actually ever win a win a competition, you know, little old Fernil, but uh, it certainly um, was a um, uh, a moment I, I haven't forgotten. Obviously, what about some of the uh, the committee people around at the time? Um, uh, can you recall uh, the president, the secretary, and a couple of the people in? the canteen that did those sort of working roles and, and the smiles that would have been on their faces? Yeah, yeah, there was uh, uh, quite a large committee in those days. Uh, I mean, Billy Boyce, Ray Robinson, uh, Jimmy Jones. Uh, I should be able to name more, but I can't. But, uh, yeah, they were, they were so pleased that uh, uh, success had finally come along. Because some of those guys had been around a long time at the club um, and had probably, had probably been... A little while since success, maybe even the 60s, uh, that Fernal had tasted success. So um, it must have given everyone just a, a huge, I guess, confidence boost and, and, and satisfaction. They certainly did. Um, you could just tell by the, by the looks on their faces, the smiles that, uh, they, that the winner generated was, uh, was like a long time coming and uh, eventually it arrived. Did that, um, once you won the league, it suddenly changed? Because clearly you would have went in favourites then for the grand final or the final series. So did you guys then just love that sort of extra challenge or did Jerry just take it to a new level with three weeks to go in the league season and then we're, we're getting ready for the grand final now? I, I guess um, that, that, that particular year... Uh, we, we hadn't beaten Bulleye. We had a, two draws with them right. throughout the year, and they were formidable opponents. They, they, um, they, they were always a very, very um, well, well-drilled side and, and hard to beat. But so yeah, we we didn't um, we didn't get overconfident. We we yep. knew we, we knew we had a, um, a a good side, but you had to be able to turn up on the day and produce the produce the goods. And what about the the grand final that you eventually won? Um, uh, who were you playing against? Uh, what was the score? And, and what do you recall of the game? Up at Memorial Park, and, and all grand finals were played there then. Um, playing against Bulleye, and once again we we hadn't beaten them all year. Uh, and it was it was a really really close game, and um, it was uh, it wasn't until just before half time Paul Salabank actually scored with a header and put us up one nil, and then. Um, we got on a bit of a roll in the second half, and we ended up um, winning five-one, which was, yeah, uh, which I think shocked everybody. Like you said, yeah, you'd had thoughts that you'd never win anything. Um, to be in a season like that, where uh, a Coromel leagues, um, sometimes that can be uh, a team just getting into form early and being very fit. But the other two uh, are definitely a sign of being the best team all year. So. Uh, what do you think about it then and what do you think about it now? Yeah, look, um, uh, as, as the season went on and we did have some, um, some good results and, and um, I think success breeds success. So if you, you get on a bit of a roll and, and um, as, as I said, we stayed suspension and injury free, yeah. it, it, it definitely helped. Uh, 85... Jerry was obviously still at the helm and you were still you know playing the majority of the season and and um, uh, from a personal perspective um, we'll talk about your, your personal achievement later on um, there was some change in players that year from the year before uh, what do you think brought that about um, usually after success most people want to stick around 
um, there's a few plays, a couple of plays that went. So how did you see that? Well, um, Prooksy and, um, and and Paul, they wanted to go overseas and, yep. and do some travel. So that was a massive blow for us. Um, and I think um, it might have been um, um, a couple of other players were poached to go to other clubs and maybe do a bit of coaching as well. So the team that we played with in 84 was... Um, um, vastly different to the team we had in '85. Uh, there was a, it's not as it's not played as much anymore. So um, uh, the charity shield. Um, what was the format of that game? Was that usually just the cup winner versus the league champion? And um, I guess from the year from the year before, um, one of the early matches of the season. Is it? That's that's right. It was the first game of the year, and and that was another blow for us there in in that game in '85. Stevie Quinn did his knee and he was out for an extended period. So there was another a big loss for us going into the 85 season. It says a lot about the, uh, uh, the squad, though, that you, you had those losses, whether it be travel, um, other clubs taking those players or injury, that you, you still won the Bampton Cup. So um, uh, that must be pretty pleasing. It, w- it was. It was um, um, because I, I think there was a lot of... Um, uh, despondency around in 85 early thinking oh no we've lost all these players you know we're going to get flogged this year but as it turned out uh, a, a competition like the Bampton Cup um, really lifted our spirits. That year um, and, and um, uh, my limited interactions with you uh, uh, my read of you is you're a very humble person um, so we won't talk about it too much but from a personal achievement um, you were crowned Illawarra Premier League Player of the Year in '85. So, um, uh, what did that award mean to you? And it just came as a, a shock to me. Um, I, I, all I got was, "Can you make sure you go to the presentation night at Coromel <laughs> Leagues?" And I said, "Oh yeah, I'll, I'll go if you want, you know." And um, um, and then I, I I got read out as a possible chance of being a player of the player of the year. But in in those days. There's guys like Tony Charnock and um, a number of other players. Yeah, Gutierrez, Rostevsky, Eger, Quirk, yeah. all those. Yeah, oh, look, I, I didn't give myself a chance in hell of, um, of um, being up there with those sort of guys. You know, they were, they were um, such good players. And uh, I just said, oh, yeah, it's nice of the club to ask me to go along to the presentation. <laughs> but did you have a rich vein of form that year? Did you think you, from regardless of the award and not knowing at that point in time, did you think you had had a good year personally that in 85? Uh, I, I guess so. I mean, um, um, when Quinny got injured in that, in that first, um, in that charity shield game and then uh, it changed our team around a bit, I guess there was a little bit more of a um, uh, emphasis on my shoulders to, to try and, uh, you know, help, help, help the team along a bit more. So I, I guess that... It, it was a subconscious thing. It wasn't yeah. actually a, um, something that come front of mind for me. And you're there at the presentation and then your name gets called out. It must have been just a complete surprise and just, did they say my name? Uh, yeah, that, that's exactly right. I'm going, I looked at, um, I think it might have been um, Johnny Walker whiskey and sitting next to me. I said, did he just call my name out? He said, yeah, you better get up there. <laughs> So looking back on it and all this time now and, and you have a look at the old handbooks where, where it lists the players, it, it still must be, uh, uh, you know, personal accolades are, 
uh, probably lesser than team ones, but you still must be pretty proud of, of winning that award ahead of all of those players. Look, when you look at the list of players there, it's certainly it's it, it's an honour to to be to be um, named in that um, in that um, uh, era uh, alongside such such good players. So it certainly was a very humbling experience. Eighty uh, six, um, Jerry was still at the helm, and and again you were sort of playing twenty three first grade games. There was one reserve grade game there listed in there, and and scoring six. Six first grade goals. Uh, what do you recall of of that year? Because Bulleye, like you said, um, in the previous couple of years under Norm, were were a strong lineup, but they went to the next level in '86, didn't they? They were they were formidable again. Yeah, they were strong across the park, and I think they'd actually um, recruited a few extra players as well, which which helped them out. So um, yeah, in in that regard, um, if you weren't on your game against Bulleye, yeah, you were struggling. And, and that year or, or that sort of era, who was usually marking you in the Bulleye team? Greg, Greg Fisher was always um, uh, giving me a hard time. So uh, uh, he, he, and, and he, was, he was once again a, a very fit, um, strong player too. So yeah, if you were, if you were feeling an, uh, a little underwhelmed that, that particular day, it's probably because he was marking you. <laughs> And although um, you know you'd been playing for a few years now in the competition, and people would have known uh, what you could do and what you couldn't do, and knew of your abilities, uh, was there a, a little bit of extra heat on you that year, being player of the year, where you, some coaches gave you a bit more extra attention? Look, I guess so. Uh, when you well, is, is spotlight the right word? I mean, you you, you win the player of the year in in the previous year, and then I guess all of a sudden your your name comes up and you think we'll better keep an eye on him perhaps but uh yeah yeah you, you definitely notice the extra attention that um that you uh, sort of attracted after after being out there so the club had a another successful year um picking up the charity shield and and then making a grand final um although not successful uh the grand final against Bulleye, what do you recall of it it was it was a tough game, and uh, um, with only one goal in it, uh, I, I thought it was still a chance right up to the end. But then, of course, uh, history will um, say that Bulleye won, which they did. And uh, and that and that particular game too, Greg Fisher marked me out of the game basically. Norman, yeah. um, obviously, giving him that role, and um, and and, and I, I hardly got a, a kick in that game. I, the only kick I got was up the backside, I think, from uh, from Greg. <laughs> Did Jerry's uh, style of coaching, he'd had the club for three years, 84, 85, 86, and highly successful. Um, did he change his style a little bit, or was he fairly disciplined and methodical in that fitness first, and then um, results will come from that? Because um, we had success early in his um, coaching tenure, we had um, uh, the expectation then that that was going to continue. So I guess with um, uh, inevitability of injuries and suspensions and uh, players changing, um, I guess um, keeping up that level of, of um, consistency was always going to be tough. So yeah, uh, Jerry always um, didn't, didn't change his uh, training methods too much. Certainly fitness was the main one though. Because uh, that following year um, in, in 87, um, you only played... Um uh, ten games and and then 
in first grade, some off the bench. Um, uh, was that a, an injury-plagued year or did you go on holiday? Or It was 87, if I remember correctly. We were playing at Warilla this day and, and uh, the Warilla goalkeeper cleared the ball. It was kicked the ball out of his hands and it, I'd gone up to header the ball and it went over my head and I've turned around and Peter Bott had come in behind me and he'd half volleyed the ball and hit me square in the face and uh, I must have just blacked out for a minute. The ball hit me so hard and um, anyway, I, I was on the ground, I woke up. Anyway, uh, the, the Ray Robbo, the strapper at the time, come on and he starts wiping me face down. I said, no, it's not me face, it's me foot, me ankle. And what had happened, I'd, uh, I must have just blacked out and as I hit the ground, me ankle went underneath me and, uh, and I think um, I was in a cast then for about six weeks getting this bone to heal in my foot. You spoke then uh, about the strapper and uh, I guess, uh, and rightly so, we'd call him an icon at the club, Ray Robinson. Um, can you talk a bit, um, while we're here and we've got his name up, up there, um, the ground's named after him down there. Um, he's a huge name at the club. Um, can you tell the listener a bit about the man, what you saw him do and, and what he was like? Yeah, Ray was everything that um, uh, Fernhill epitomises. Uh, you know, we, we, in, the, in the early days, the, the main field there had a lot of grass tussocks in it. And uh, if you weren't careful, Ray would grab you on a Sunday and uh, <laughs> get you over there with a mattock, getting them all out. And, um, but he was always there. He, um, he'd be there with, on Tuesdays, Thursdays and, and game days strapping. And then he strapped for the Illawarra team. Um, and, um, you know, we went fishing together, went to the boat show. Um, he, he was just, just an all round, really nice guy, you know, and, uh, uh, he, 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 um, uh, spent many years there and, 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 and it's a really, um, um, really applicable that he, the ground's named after him. And uh, like you said, he wasn't just on the committee and uh, didn't just do work on the ground, but on game days he was the strapper as well and Tuesdays and Thursdays uh, did that as well. So um, obviously he had some ability in that area as well. He certainly did. He was one of those old-fashioned strappers that um, um, would um, have his own little magic potions that... Um, <laughs> that would soon get you back on the field, whether they uh, worked or not was another thing. But, uh, yeah, he, um, he, he'd be there all the time. So, uh, you know, whether it be game day, training, or even non-game days to uh, get the field in order ready for next week. 87, like you said, um, you'd had that injury. Um, apart from that, the, the club did drop to eighth spot. Um, like you said before, do you see that as just a culmination of year after year, um, putting in so much effort that at some point you've football cyclical and you've, you, you just drop out? That, that's, that's probably a pretty, pretty good way of putting it. The, yeah, um, it. There's nothing better than just something a bit new and a bit fresh to come in and, and, and liven things up a bit. So we, we might have been getting a bit stale by then perhaps. And, and once again, two injuries were, were a big problem. Uh, that that year in '87, uh, South Coast Croatia um, were the out and out um, better team, being the league champions and whatnot. You know they had um, the likes of Coelho, Botticelli, Sutcliffe, uh, Grasso, Greathead, um, Mondolo, um, Savrano. Uh, what do you recall of that team and 
and and Williams obviously and, and why they were so good. Once it once again, I think it came down to a a close knit group of players that were all all talented, and uh, they could knock the ball around the park really well and and catch you out um, just when you didn't expect it. In '88, Jerry um, was taking care of first grade at Fern Hill. Um, another one um, where you finish ninth spot, um, regardless of how it happened. Um, it seemed um, uh, talking in either late July or early when I interviewed Jerry that he announced he wouldn't be coaching um, the club the following year. Did that come as a surprise to you and, and some of the players? Uh, I, I think Jerry had made sort of indications that he probably going to have his last year. Uh, Jerry probably knew that he, he probably couldn't go any further with the yep. with the with the playing base that we had, and uh, and uh, I, I think a few of the other players were uh, were thinking about moving on as well. So yeah, it was probably a culmination of those things. But overall, uh, his time at the club from '84 to '88. If you look back on it now, it's probably that first year in particular. It was a hugely successful period for the club. So um, you must look back on it, um, his involvement, the committee, and, and the players you played with fondly. Yeah, absolutely. It was a it was a, a really golden period for us. Like even though at the end there, you know, 80, 80, uh, 87, 88, we didn't we weren't that successful, but we still, as a group and as a club, we 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 still really enjoyed. Um, getting together and um, and playing football. Uh, Norm Flanagan in '89 uh, took over as first grade coach. Um, he'd obviously uh, uh, the I think at the end of '87 moved on from from Bulleye, and I think he might have had a year at Bulambi in '88. And in '89 he uh, uh, took the reins. So, uh, what was your first impressions of Norm in terms of what he did as a coach? Yeah, Norm was um, uh, quite quite different to, to Jerry, where Norm would uh, he wouldn't yell as much, um, but um, um, he he was very methodical in his approach too. He liked to um, have a game plan uh, on on a for for a Saturday, and and uh, and and, you, and if you didn't stick to the game plan, you certainly knew about it. And did that give uh, yourself and and the players at the club confidence because? You knew what Norm brought to the table and the success that he'd had at Bulleye. So did you come into that year thinking, OK, we've got a, a very good coach. We've still got some great players here, so things are looking up? Absolutely. It was looking really positive for us. Uh, having, having a good coach, um, it uh, lifts spirits and, and uh, you know, different players are more than likely to come along and, and uh, get involved as well. So, yeah, it was, a, it was looking really good. Uh, that year that um, he came in, you, you finished third behind South Coast, Croatia and Bulleye. So um, uh, clearly um, he turned it around. Um, again, you sort of had a, a sort of uh, half season in a sense playing around 10 games. So was that another injury plagued year for you? I had a couple of injuries and um, at, at the time, um, uh, my, I think, 89, my second um, child was born and yep. work and shift work was starting to take its toll, I think. <laughs> and probably some of uh, those sessions back then were a bit lengthier than they are these days. Yeah. <laughs> that year, um, West Victory, who were always around and, and thereabouts, came from fourth spot to win the grand final. So um, 
you know, they had the likes of uh, Billington, the Camden brothers, Donnelly, Witheridge, Brown, Martinoski and Nees. Um, was that a bit of a surprise that they'd come from fourth? Or like you said before, with Phil Carr um, at the reins, it was always a chance? Well, Fig Tree were always capable of doing that. They, they, they were the sort of team that um, when, the going, when the going got tough, they, they would dig deep and, um, and uh, they had the... Uh, the uh, well, the, 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 like the the mentality within the club that um, they would stick together through thick and thin and uh, and really come through. That year, uh, and and they played other years as well. But um, uh, can you talk a bit about um, blokes like Mark Simpson and Tony Bain and and what they brought to the table uh, as Fernhill players? In Bainey's case, he was he was like a bull at a gate. He'd uh, he'd, he'd be he, he he could hit the ball like a rocket and he'd slide in and tackle as hard and uh, you know for his small stocky stature he was certainly a, um, a formidable opponent and yet on the other side um, Mark Simpson was more like a uh, uh, he was more of a ball player um, didn't have to wash his shorts too often um, <laughs> but but certainly uh, he could knock a sweet ball and uh, and and really uh, uh, um, set up a, a Set up some great uh, attacking, attacking moves. And what was it like having uh, the likes of, say, Peter Beggs and Ian Serson uh, come to the club? Because their, uh, you know, their their record speaks for themselves. Um, but it must have been great to play alongside those sort of guys. It certainly was. I mean, uh, having guys like those two come along, it lifts everyone else's spirits too. Because you know, they're they're, they're both um, uh, quality players and. Um, and, and, not, and not only that, they were really decent people as well. You know, they were really um, uh, good to um, good to uh, socialise with as well as um, you know play with. And for yourself, um, you came into nineteen ninety, um, uh, not not playing as many games like you said, work and family. Um, was there a chance that you thought I might retire, or or did you? You still wanted to play, but only when you could, and depending on family and work commitments. That that was basically how it panned out. I changed jobs um, in in that uh, period, and I was working uh, two out of three weekends. Yep. Uh, there was one game there. I remember we were playing at Brandon Park. I had to, I had to come off at half time because I had to go to work, and uh, and it was right before half time. It was nothing, no, nothing. Uh, it was nil all. Um, and, and then next thing you know, I just uh, chested the ball down off a, off a throw-in and I got taken out. And uh, anyway, the half-time whistle went and I thought, yeah, I think I'm getting towards the end. <laughs> Is that hard in one sense that um, you obviously have a love for the game and the club, and, um, but you've also got a love for your family and, and that, you know, Norm had come in, 1990, um, Fernal had done one better and, and we're in second spot. Um, but um, the club was successful as well, and so I guess you've got competing emotions, I guess, that you want to be part of things, but reality checks in as well. Yeah, life gets in the way. Um, it, 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 it was still a, um, you know, it was still a good, good, good time to be involved, um, but you've just got to... Um, uh, soccer wasn't going to pay the bills, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it, it, look, it, I had a good run. So it might have been time to, uh, you know, let someone else uh, step up. Because that year, uh, both 
first and reserve grades made the grand final. Yeah, yeah. And uh, first grade uh, went one way, a, a loss, and the reserves won. So you'd had a sort of foot in both teams that year. Uh, did you end up playing in one of those grand finals? Uh, I, th- I played in the reserve grade semi up at um, up at Tarawana. Yep. And um, uh, scored a goal up there. Uh, and the boys won, of course, that, that game. And, and then um, uh, I actually come off at half-time and then sat on the bench for first grade again. Actually, was down at Balgownie that night, I think. Um, it was such a long break, though. We played at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> and then we didn't kick off till 7.30 at night. Oh, so, yeah, there was a bit of a break in that one. But, uh, yeah, so I had a foot in both camps there. And, um, uh, look, I guess uh, to get one, one win out of, uh, out of that was still a good result. And for yourself, um, some people uh, find it difficult to, to, you know, once, you know, whether it be injuries, form, or in your case, work and life balance change, um, they find it difficult to go back to reserve grade. But for you, you're just happy to play where, where needed and, and be part of the club? Yeah, look, I enjoyed playing um, uh, in, in, in any grade and, uh, and, and, and the guys in, in both sides got on well together and we always had a good time. Norm uh, was still uh, at the club in 91, um, but uh, did you mainly finish uh, in those next couple of years? Because uh, I think through 91 uh, through to 94, there was um, some stats on you, but was that pretty much just if you're available, you played and, and you were comfortable with that decision? That basically sums it up. Uh, uh, once my third child was born in uh, 92 and then um, and then of course uh, working two out of three weekends was just um, uh, it was it was all getting too hard so yeah there was if I if I was if they were short and um, I was available then I'd play yeah and uh, Larry Gaffney did you have much uh, interactions with him when he came in in the club at 93 and and what were your thoughts on Larry uh, Larry was a very astute coach as well he'd um, uh, he, he played and uh, coached at a, at a lot of places. And uh, um, by, by that stage, I think um, um, if I was training, I, I'd sort of more help Larry out with the training rather than actually being uh, involved in, in the playing side of it. So, uh, And if we were short, I'd play. So, yeah, uh, when, when Larry came along, I, um, I, was, I was probably pretty close to being finished. You then... Um sort of after 94, even 95, you'd finished up. Uh, there was no regrets there from your perspective. You were pretty comfortable with what you achieved and there was no sort of itchy feet to get back into it? No, I'd, I'd had my run and it had been a good run and uh, and um, I, I was happy with uh, with what I've achieved. So, uh, and, and, and at that time too, Larry had, had got a great team together and uh, Fernu were looking really strong again going into the 90s. Yeah, they, they, they had some quality players. Uh, a few years had passed. Um, in 2003, three, four, and 5, uh, you got back involved with uh, Fern Hill as a reserve grade coach um, who sort of uh, tapped you on the shoulder and, and asked you to come back. Uh, Ian Sersom was there. He, um, he was a first grade coach, so uh, he asked if I'd do reserve grade and... Uh, and, and and things had changed a bit again for me there. I had a bit more spare time to, yep. to do that. So I was lucky enough that 
at that particular period in time, we had a, a great bunch of guys again yeah. that, uh, and, 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 and we had a bit of success. So did you ever contemplate that you would coach or was because Ian, you obviously knew Fern Hill was your club, you were at home there in that sense and he asked you that you thought you'd do it or did you think, yeah, I'd like to give this a crack? It was Ian asked me to um, to be the reserve grade coach and I, I said, yeah, why not? I didn't really have any any um, visions of myself coaching at a, any sort of level really. I just yep. uh, thought I'd, uh, you know, I knew what Ian was like, and uh, I, th- I thought I could help him out. And although it was uh, the, the reserve grade team, um, highly successful, um, uh, did you have a coaching philosophy, or were you pretty much uh, trying to reinforce what Ian was doing? The guys that we had um, uh, sort of complemented each other in a way. We had a couple of ball players, we had a couple of quick guys, we had a couple of... Um, uh, good tacklers, so it was more about organising these guys into the positions that would would help the team out the most. And uh, and as as it turned out, it, it was pretty lucky, and uh, and and we had a pretty good time as well. You then had some some more time off in the last um, few years. Uh, from now, a few years ago, you then um, got involved uh, in a volunteering and committee perspective. Um, what drew you out of out of uh, non-football life and, and coming back to Fernhill? I was made redundant in my job in 2017, so um, uh, and, and of course I retired then. Um, obviously, got a bit more time on my hands, so that that, that sort of uh, drew me back, and um, uh, it, it was always um, a pleasure to help out over at the at the at the ground anyway. So uh, yeah, that 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 was the the turning point. And what sort of roles have you taken up? Is it mainly sort of groundsman type roles or just game days? Or do you have a specific position that you've you've had on the committee or just general committee guy? Just just generally uh, helping out. I mean, yeah, we, we, we over there during the week with the ground and uh, and then of course on game day uh, uh, I cooked the barbecue. <laughs> Actually with a shortage of referees, I've been running the line. Uh, <laughs> Uh, any, anything that comes up, basically, yeah. The club, uh, Fernhill, um, in the past 20 years, maybe 30, since it's 40, actually, when they've um, come to Ray Robinson, has really been a, a great transformation of the ground. Um, you've been a part of that as, as a player and then a little bit as a coach and then the last few years as a committee person. It must be satisfying that... Um, the club has put together a great community facility there. It, it, it certainly is. Uh, the as you mentioned before, the location right next to the beach, and uh, the um, you know we had lights there since 1980. And, and in fact, I got some guys coming down to look at the lights tomorrow <laughs> uh, to get, to cut. There's a couple out. So yeah, it, it's it's a really satisfying um, um, legacy, if you like that. Um, We've been able to put together a, a community facility there that, um, uh, well, you know, we, we've, we've got around 350 uh, juniors. Yeah. We've got our ladies' teams going well. We've got uh, our masters' teams going well. So uh, to, to have, um, you know, a community facility like that in, in such a location, it certainly is a, um, uh, it's certainly a, a legacy I'll be, I'll be happy to leave anyway. And do you enjoy being part of the club? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's always, um, obviously, when you lose on a Saturday, it's not so great. But anyway, we get down there and have a good time and that, you know. So um, um, the, the the group of young guys that are there at the moment, and I must admit, Dale White's our coach. Yeah. Uh, he, I, I remember, he first time I saw Dale, he was in a pram. He's, uh, Mick and I were just about walking out onto onto the ground there. It must be 1987, I think, to play a game. And... and um, um, Mick's wife uh, had brought Dale along in the in the pram, so and and now we've got Dale coaching us. So. Yeah, there's some some nice uh, sort of connections there with yourself and and previous players and other committee guys as well. Um, back on your your playing days, um, you were selected at different times in the Illawarra representative team, and you spoke about your uh, your one off payment, <laughs> the only financial <laughs> reward you got as a player. Um, but what did you um, recall of this experience in terms of the games you played and, 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 and the experiences you had there? I was lucky enough to, to go to Canberra there uh, and play for the Aurora team. And, and, and the group of players that went were, were um, you know, they, they were a great bunch of guys and, and uh, really keen to, to do well in Canberra. And I think we did win when we went over there. Um, and even the game I played up at Coromel in Memorial Park, it was um, we 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 were in the dressing room before the game, and we didn't. Um, there was no thought of of losing the game. It was um, it was all about uh, you know putting our best foot forward out there. And those sort of games don't occur uh, much in in recent times. So what was it like uh, uh, playing with uh, previous opponents? Um, that you probably respected and had tussles with and now being on the pitch alongside them? It made a welcome change. In, instead of um, them kicking me, they were um, giving it to the, uh, the opposition. So, but having said all that, the, the guys that did play really wanted to play and, 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 and their keenness for success was, um, was uh, something a little unexpected for me. I thought, oh, we'll just go out and have a game. But no, they... Uh, and and I, me too. I, I I was keen to to uh, for Illawarra to do well. Over the years uh, in the Premier League, you would have uh, played against uh, a lot of opponents. Um, you mentioned Fisher before from from Bulleye. Is there there are a couple of other blokes that you you loved playing against because you knew it was going to be a challenging day, or or that you had to be at your best. Yeah. Look, I guess. Um, um, I mean, there's a, there's a picture there. Phil Brown from Figgy. Um, Phil was a, a, is a is a good friend of mine, and I always enjoyed uh, his company. and uh, And it was always uh, when you when you played against Figgy, there was you know Brownie. He'd, he'd just turn up somewhere and he'd knock the ball, and next thing you know they've scored a goal. He was just one of those freakish players that could uh, that could turn a game. So yeah, if anyone I could think of, would be Phil Brown. Yeah. And uh, what about, although um, there'll be uh, some of the past Fernhill players and, and committee guys, um, uh, they might listen to this and, and you know, oh, you didn't say anything about me or whatnot, but that, that's nor here nor there. But if you had to pick a, a few blokes that you'd like to see in your own uh, Peter Thompson Fernhill All-Stars team that you knew you could rely on, um, who would be those players and, and why, why do you like to... What did you like about them? Oh, I guess you'd go back to that '84 team um, uh, where uh, every everybody 
that played played for them played for each other and um, and and wanted to, wanted to do well. So um, I, I guess um, uh, I, I couldn't. I, I won't say any names, yeah. otherwise I'll get into trouble. <laughs> it's probably a bit unfair of me. And and over the years, um, uh, committee people, um, Fernhill's been a very strong club there. So um, not just committee people. Um, men and women in the canteen and other volunteers. So um, uh, you spoke of Ray Robinson. Um, is there any others that that come to mind when you think of uh, you know decades of work that people have put together? Yeah, back in uh, when I first came along, Billy Boyce was um, you know he was he was larger than life there at the club, and anything that needed to be done, he'd get it organised. So what, he just did a lot of work like one of those guys that was just there and put the time in? Yeah, yeah, he was one of those uh, guys that basically knew everyone. Um, you know, for instance, pour on the concrete uh, in front of the canoe there. There was never any concrete there at one stage and he just organised um, the concrete um, and, the, and the guys turned up and poured the concrete, things like that, you know. And uh, I'm pretty sure he was, he was the main person involved with getting the bank Yep. Um, um, around the the ground, uh, another guy would be Max Hobbs. Uh, I mean, we recently lost Max, yeah. and uh, our condolences. Yeah, it was very sad. It was a very sad uh, time, but uh, Max was uh, always good for words of wisdom, and and he he also put in a lot of um, uh, you know a lot of um, a lot of time there. He actually got the 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 awning that was built on the front of the on the yeah. thing there. He got that done. So yeah, that's just a couple, and yeah, I probably I'm, left a heap out yeah, there. Yeah, definitely. That, yeah. Over the time there at Fernhill, um, there was a lot of, especially in that that mid '80s period, very successful. Did did First Grade have a a, a victory song? Did they have um, something that sing after games? Because I've spoken to a few people. Some people do, um, uh, and some clubs didn't. You know, uh, it just varied from club to club. So did Fernhill have a victory song? Uh, they certainly did. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, they still sing it today. Um, uh, so, was yeah. that there when you came in in 79 and, and had been roughly the same or had there been different variations over its over the time? From what I can uh, recall, no, it's always been the same, you know, oh, Fernal boys are we, yeah, so it's still going today. Oh, excellent. Well, Peter, it, it's taken uh, me a while to move my schedule around and, and I sincerely appreciate um a, you giving up your time, and, and B, you um, allowing me into your home. It's It's been fantastic and brilliant um, speaking about your journey um, at Balambi and Fernhill and, and speaking about those clubs. So um, sincere thanks from me for being on the podcast. Thanks, Travis. Travis, I've enjoyed it very much. I um, hope we uh, haven't bored too many listeners. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Thanks, mate. Okay, cheers. Thanks again for listening and downloading episode 72. It is sincerely valued. Once again, thank you to Peter for the time he spent recounting his journey in the game and for allowing me into his home. I'm your host, Travis. Goodbye for now. (laughs) 